Hello and welcome to the Mindset Alchemy podcast. I'm your host, Janine Kathleen, and I am delighted to introduce you into awareness, mindset, heartset, gutset, better ways of using your language and creating that wonderful and incredible life you love. Whether it's myself or myself and a guest, you will always come away with tips tools and ways of creating expansively in your life. Thank you for joining me today and let's get on with it. Got it. Hey everybody, I am so happy to welcome Stuart Elliott who's come to share his life experience with us and to tell you a bit about his adventures and where he's been come from and currently is Stuart welcome to the Mindset Alchemy podcast I'm so excited to have you here yeah it's wonderful to be here and it's always a pleasure to talk with you I mean it's uh, you know one of those special occasions so you know thank you very much for inviting me and for inviting your audience to hear Oh, no, thank you you have so much value and valuable things to offer people Stuart I am fascinated. Please tell everyone where you currently are. Before we came online, Stuart was telling me about the temperature of where he is. So I was, and I'm currently freezing at the moment. So I was quite, I wouldn't say envious. (laughs) Where are you, Stuart, now? Yeah, well, you know, South Africa is in the Southern Hemisphere. So you are hitting midwinter soon, which is very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I'm in the Northern Hemisphere in, you know, the corresponding tropic. Um, I can't remember which is Capricorn and which is Cancer. But You are in Cancer and I okay. am below Capricorn, way okay. below Capricorn. Yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm around there. And uh, basically, I'm coming to you from the south of China. And obviously, because of the tropics and it is the rainy season, we've got high humidity, but it's also in the region of 39 40 degrees at the moment during the daytime and it's uh, 10.35 now and it's still 33 outside so it's beautiful to just go for a nice little stroll and that's centigrade not uh, Fahrenheit. Yes that's a good point to tell people I remember when I was in Townsville in Australia many 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 years ago I experienced that sort of um, tropical sensation was absolutely incredible. Stuart, you have had a fascinating journey to get there. Can you share with us a little bit of where you started, how you wound up in South Africa, what you initially went to China for, and where it led to? Yeah, well, I mean, it started quite a few years ago (laughs) in in the UK, and I lived most of the life. I mean, about six months after I was born, my parents moved from London to Manchester and most lived most of my life in a little bit in the south but mostly in the north of Manchester in, in a place called Middleton and then um, back in around 84 eight, well before that actually a couple of years before that I started to develop an interest in Africa and uh, I bought a book on you know it could have been through a newspaper because that was back before um, Amazon started and it was an online, you know, thing. You 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 buy it and get it. But it was about West Africa and the kingdoms and the history of the peoples there. And I found it absolutely fascinating. So that really was, I don't know about my awakening, but the first 
connection I actually experienced to Africa, and I do have a very big connection there. So when my brother moved to Joburg to work with one of the banks, you know, um, in 83, 485, he was getting towards the end of his contracts and said, hey, hey I'm going to organize an overland trip through Africa, you know, in my mm -hmm. Land Rover. So mm -hmm. I said, okay, I'm interested, but, you know, my brother, unfortunately, doesn't always have the best <laughs> calendar in his mind. So it didn't fall out. And to be open with you, it, it may not have been the best option anyway, because if we spend mm -hmm. too much time together in a very close uh, proximity, mm -hmm. we, we have quite a few arguments. <laughs> so maybe it was I a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> But, so Mother but, Nature was taking care of that for you, was she? Yeah, it seems like that, yes. And, uh, so I, I still wanted to do this overland trip through Africa, so I organized uh, uh, you know, something. And then in January, yeah, I think it was the end of January, 86, I flew to South Africa, spent some time with my brother, obviously, and then toured around South Africa. And then a month later, I was due to start the overland trip through back to the UK and uh, that was about a six month journey. Sure. And that was a phenomenal experience. I mean, we drove, at that time, obviously Zimbabwe was still in a little bit of turmoil. So you couldn't mm -hmm. go to Zimbabwe because of the troubles in Matabele land and that. Mm -hmm. But we went through Botswana and then to Zambia, to mm -hmm. Malawi, to Tanzania, to Kenya, to Burundi, Central African Republic, I mean, uh, uh, Zaire, Niger and Nigeria, Niger, and you know, all the way back to the UK. But you know, obviously, at a trip like that, you have so many phenomenal experiences. Quite a lot of them, which don't really register. That you know, the importance of them don't really register at the time, but they're there in your mind until you know you're ready to receive the message or the, the lesson that was given you. And it was interesting. I'd, I've never really been outside of the UK apart from two. I went to two weeks in uh, you know, Morocco once and Sp um, not Spain, um, Greece. But that was really it. It was only on little package holidays, but they were, they were a good taste of it. The first couple of nights camping in uh, the uh, Kalahari Desert, that was phenomenal because the thing that stands out to me is the number of stars. It was incredible i mean we were walking down around with our heads down and our shoulders down because we thought the stars were the clappers <laughs> on the head because it was so many and it's just so beautiful, beautiful. i've never seen mm -hmm. that you know it was a beautiful experience and and obviously especially if you go further north in the kalahar we get towards the okavango yes. then there's no fences for the game you know they, they had the um uh, what's it called the um foot and mouth barrier to separate the cattle, you know, areas from the there, but there was no fences in the game reserves or anything. And uh, we're camping, and we have lions visiting at night time, sniffing around the tent, and that's interesting. <laughs> at first, it's scary as heck, but afterwards, it becomes part and parcel of the thing. We never had an experience like some people we met who they were camping there. Some elephants came through as they were camping, Ooh. and one of them eat on their tent. Now, elephants are big. They have a lot of water in them. You can imagine what they felt like when they're being swamped. And there's not a lot to do in that situation. Oh, my word. And let's add, you normally carry all your own water in these areas. It's not readily available. I don't know if you... spares, everything you need. You have to be self-sufficient. And... 
you know, that, that's the thing. And, and this is back in 86. So we didn't even have um, GPSs or anything. It was a, a paper map, which I like, and a compass. And follow your nose and trust. And you know, we were on an organized tour. But when I came back, and I'll, I'll get to how I came back and what happened there, but when I came back, I spent as much time as possible in my own four by four in those areas because wow. it's special about it. And yeah, we, we, we loaded up the whole thing with everything spare alternators, spare um, water pumps, you know, as many spares as you can uh, take with you without having to have a whole complete vehicle towed behind you. And then uh, obviously, Fuel. I mean, when you're in the deep sands, they chew fuel like anything else. And then uh, obviously water and food, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to become self-sufficient, but it's not a big challenge, really, if you think about it. And it's fun if you like it. And, and I, I yeah. remember, you know, the contrast once when my parents came to visit and we took them into, now Zimbabwe's okay again, we took them into the, the um, north... Um, in the, in the uh, Matupo Hills or whatever, and mm -hmm. I can't remember the game reserve there now, but I found this place on the map in the game reserve I wanted to get to. And we're driving three hours later, we're still driving, we've not seen a single person, we've not seen a single vehicle, and my mother is starting to panic. So far away from any form of civilization, she made me turn around and go back. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> did you warn her about it? I did, but you know, warning and actually experiencing are not always the same thing. Yeah, it's the vastness and the stillness that is so. Yeah, and and just the emptiness in there, if you think yes. of it, because yes. there's no living souls. There's nothing. I mean, there's animals and things, but there's no dwellings or anything else like that. And if you're a little bit nervous about that, it can be a challenge. And it was. So obviously we turned back and it was a little bit relieved. Uh, and from there, how did you get to China? That is fascinating, people. Well, what, what happened was, you know, we did the overland trip through Africa. We got off the ferry and I, I looked around and said, I don't like it. I'm going back. So three months later, I was back in South Africa and then I got, you know, employment and stayed there for 18 years. And then wow. the whole life that I built up fell apart, as, as mm -hmm. sometimes happens. And uh, mm -hmm. even even my two dogs, they were getting on a little bit. They were a long time. They both died, you know, within a couple of months of each other. So I'd, I'd found some people who Chinese people who um, I was friends with, and they had a school in Joburg at the time, bringing mm -hmm. people from China to to learn English as a second language. And they offered me an opportunity to come to China to teach English. So wow. I said, okay, yeah, but where? Is it north or south? If it's the north, it's like the, the wilds of Canada. So freezing. Said, no, it's not yeah, freezing and uh, <laughs> minus 40 centigrade. No way. No. That's not for me. <laughs> no. Plus 40 is okay, but minus 40, no. Yes. So I, you know, they said, no, it's not far from Vietnam. I said, okay, no problem. And they gave me a ticket and I looked at the ticket, it says Guangzhou International Airport. That's not my final destination. So how am I going to get the next ticket? And I found out that if you buy the ticket locally, it's way, way cheaper than buying it overseas. So mm -hmm. they said there'll be somebody at the airport meeting you. And... Okay, I trust it. <laughs> I trust it. And... So get on the get on the plane and we, we go there. And somewhere along that way, I found out that 
when the plane arrives in the, you know, from, from South Africa to, to Guangzhou, when it arrives in Guangzhou, I have an hour to get off the plane, go through customs, through immigration, and then get onto the plane, which is going to fly to the city where I would be met by the school people. Wow. And that's only an hour. Sure. So I get off and I'm, I'm trying to get the baggage quickly and get through. And, and I got through with, with about uh, 25 minutes to spare and uh, come out into the arrivals hall. And there's a gentleman there with a, a card with my name on it. And, and I go, it's me. And he says, okay, come, 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 come. And he's off like a scolded cat. So oh, I'm shit. running after him. And at that time, the international and the domestic departures mm. or arrivals departures at airports mm. were separated by what looked like a street market. Yeah. And he's running through all these aisles and stalls and things like that with me in, in hot pursuit. And then he gets to what looked like a checkout, a supermarket checkout counter. And there's a girl, you know, a lady there, and uh, he gives her the ticket. I says, bye-bye. And he's off again. And you don't actually speak full Chinese at this point. I didn't speak Chinese. I didn't know where I was. I had, because we were running through this like market. I hadn't even got a chance to get my bearings. I was trying to keep up with him. And I had that unconscious pressure of the plane's going to be leaving soon. So the you know the 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 um, flight attendant she processed it and I said how you know how do I get the plane she said it's on the wrong way you have to go walk across it so <laughs> I remember I those days the air, uh, airport A from walk through and it was you know I'd left uh, Joburg in the end of August sort of thing so mm-hmm. it was still winter chilly and I go into Guangzhou and it's it's forty degrees plus and I walk out there and it's like wow hit you hard. wow. You know, I just spent you know a long time on a, mm-hmm. an air-conditioned plane, but hey, that's that's what it's like. And I got on the plane, and then we flew to my the next city, which is the capital of this region, Guangxi region called Nanning. And then there were some more people waiting for me, who were going to take me on a two-hour road trip to the school. So it all works out because you trust and believe. And Please it is part it of that again because you trust and you believe. People, there's a life lesson there. So what happened next, Stuart? You got to the school and you didn't stay teaching. What happened? Well, what happened was that the teaching was a pathway to my final calling. But it was also a beautiful, beautiful education. I learned so much from the students and about the students, about the way the mind works and everything else. And as it happened, I became the most popular teacher and uh, had the highest class retention rates, had high scores and all this sort of thing. And I, what am I doing? I'm, I'm not a career teacher. I've done the mm-hmm. Tesla certificate. I'm just going into the class to teach them how to speak the English that they, they've learned because mm-hmm. they weren't taught that. They, they knew more about grammar than I ever knew. Sometimes I got asked by teachers or people about this grammar point and I've got, I've never heard of it before. <laughs> I've got no. no idea what the heck they're talking about, but... Of course, we you know we use the language and they were studying it, so there's a difference there. And yeah. uh, during that process, I became more and more interested in how the mind works and how everything you know fits together. And um, I studied NLP with John Grinder in 2012. I studied Ericksonian mm-hmm. conversational hypnotherapy at the end of that year. And somewhere in that period, I said, okay, now I know what I'm doing. Now I can use it more mm-hmm. intentionally. Mm. And that was beautiful because, you know, obviously the students are getting better results, having more fun. But my main focus was on fun 
And yes. so much so that, I, you know, there was a primary school I was at and doing a, a class once, a, a couple of classes every, during the week. And all the parents were complaining about me. All the students, not students, but the, the teachers were complaining about me. The students weren't, they were having fun, they're having a great time, but everyone else was complaining. And then come the end of term, the exam results are way higher than they've ever been. These guys, you know, all, who are all complaining said, okay, we want you back, we want you back, we want you back. We don't know what you're doing. <laughs> to me, it's really significant as a little word you mentioned there, fun, because I have seen with mindset work, the more fun you can have, the more focus you acquire and the more results you have. Yeah. Was it an area where fun was encouraged or was like nose to the grindstone? Not in the classroom. I mean, they, uh, some of the, you know, the kindergartens I've been to and primary schools I've been to, they have a little plastic tambourine and the teacher taps it once and the students have to sit down and then they tap it twice, have to sit mm -hmm. up like this and then they have to do this and then they do this and they, they, they're like little robots. So yes. fun is not part of that world, you know, in the education mm -hmm. system. It's, it's, it's about focus, study, 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 study. And, and that's that's the problem. Yeah. You know, people are not having fun. And, you know, naturally, children play. Mm -hmm. They have fun and they learn through that. You look at wild animals. Yes. You know, cheetahs, they take a, um, a, a live buck and they put it to the, the, the youngsters and they play with it, but they're learning how to hunt. It may not be very nice for the, you know, for the buck, but it's mm -hmm. that natural thing. And play is, is one of our biggest, biggest educators. And it's a shame that we don't have more of it in the classroom. I mean, when Absolutely. I was at school, mm -hmm. the, the teachers I remember the most were the most playful teachers. Yes. And they are the ones I got the most benefit from. What could change that perception? Because even with the clients I work with, when I suggest fun, they're like horrified initially. It's even come down to, I heard somebody say, let's have home play rather than homework. And when I mention to people home play, they're like, look at me sideways. How have you managed to help your clients with that? I think the, the, you know, the one thing you have to do is lead. Yes. You have to have fun yourself and you have to enjoy what you're doing. And you have to bring that playful energy. I mean, that's what I took into the classroom because I fed that energy out. Mm -hmm. I got it back but in larger amounts, which amplified my energy and, and, and it just builds up. If you go in with a sort of negativity, it gets lower and lower and lower. So you, you've got to lead that way. And uh, sometimes it, I don't think it helps to talk about fun. Just be silly, do silly things, yes. you know, and, 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 and make it happen. I mean, this is not something I planned, but the universe planned it for me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, Sometime last year, maybe September, October, I was taking my two young children to kindergarten. And at the entrance to our, our complex, there's a little pond. And I've told the children many times to keep away from the edge. And, but, you know, children mm -hmm. are like magnets and iron filings with water. They're yes. attractive. And this one morning, I happened to step back and fall into the pond. Oh, no, Stuart. And I'm going oh, back, I'm cartwheeling, and I said, ah, look at silly daddy. Splash. <laughs> and then I'm dripping from head to foot. And initially, there was a big shock you know, on their faces. And, and, you know, 
But because I'd said this and I fell in and I got out and I, I was making fun of myself, yes. that shot went away and they had a wonderful time. It was a beautiful start to the day, but not only a beautiful start to the day, I was able to give them that lesson in such a practical, fun way because yes. I'd be the fool. And I didn't let my ego get in the way or anything. And then I took them to school, dripping wet. So they've got all these stories to tell their friends and the teacher. And then I go home and change. And what a beautiful way. But that, 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 you know, that's what I mean. You don't talk about it. You don't necessarily have to dive in the pub backwards, but you <laughs> make it happen. <laughs> it's like we're having a lot of this discussion now, you know. <laughs> you just make it happen. <laughs> yes, you allow it. When did you... Um, because, okay, let me start again. I love how you expressed about the stars that you walked bent over because they felt like they were pushing down on you. And I absolutely resonate with that experience. Mm -hmm. And you've gone to a very different sort of culture. So you've gone to very different cultures. How have you experienced this? What has stood out for you and where has it empowered you to grow? That's about 20 questions. Let's start with the yeah. first one. What's your experience with it and what has it helped you with? Well, I would suggest firstly that nothing has seemed strange. Beautiful. It just is i mean when i was traveling through africa I, you, you see things you experience things obviously that you would never experience in your daily life and it, the wake-up calls i mean i think it was in malawi we were driving down this dirt road and it was wet and everything else and there's a gentleman walking down the side of the road with a shoe on his head mm -hmm. another shoe in his hand and there's mm -hmm. two bananas in the shoe on his head now mm -hmm. my first thought is what the you know, what's going on here with this guy he's crazy I wouldn't be barefoot on that road. I'd have shoes. And then you step back and you stop judging. Mm -hmm. And you think, okay, he's he's pretty smart because number one, you know, he's he's used to having no shoes on. That's not a problem. Mm -hmm. But number two, there are still things. It's that red clay that stains everything. Yes. And he's got this lovely pair of shoes. So why wear them and ruin them in a place where, you know, they're, they're, they're worth more than the weight in gold? Yes. And secondly, African people carry things on their heads. They're, they're, they're so wise. I've seen people with, you know, 50 kilo bags of cement on the head. They got mm -hmm. the hands free. I mean, me, I'm, I'm breaking my back and everything else trying to do the same mm -hmm. thing. I, I, no, I don't have that wisdom. So yeah. it makes logical sense. So he's walking down there. And that's, when you see it from that angle and put yourself in the other person's perspective, you actually say, okay, there's a lot of wisdom here. So lessons like that and observations like that prepare you. And, and you, when you're living, you know, camping every single night, living by the campfire and everything else, it's a different, whole different perspective. Now, not everyone can do it. Mm -hmm. It just reminds me of a holiday we had in the Thule block. Um, there's a small private game reserve there in, in the Botswana side of the Thule block. And we had it over the New Year period. And then somebody who bought this 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 thing came with his his family, but they're the you know northern suburbs crowd, the Santa crowd, you know the whole you know the whole thing. And they came there and they offloaded, and we were we resented their intrusion into our little privacy. Mm -hmm. But they're offloading everything and everything else like that. And then we we, we got a, a gas deep freezer. That was it. You know that there was nothing yes. else. And. Uh, Next thing you know, this woman pipes up. Where's the microwave? 
<laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so they had frozen pies. And oh I wasn't very feeling very generous because they came with this attitude that they took mm -hmm. over everything. Mm -hmm. And they even kicked us out of our tent so they could have the best tent. So that really got me because we, we had mm -hmm. one night left and that. But we had a poiki, you know, beautiful poiki sat there bubbling away. And, and they came and they said, where are the pies? And, you know, where's the microwave? And then I, I gave them a little bit of help with generosity. And, and I showed her how to make a, a little oven with a, with a cast iron pot and some tin foil that she could cook most of the pies in. But it didn't work because they didn't have that connection. Yeah. And they got these soggy, half-warmed up pies, oh, and they got this poiki, yeah. and the people I was with, we had this beautiful poiki, and I said, oh, who wants more? There's lots left, and you can see the other people, their faces, the drooling, yeah. and everything. So oh, I was a bit cruel. Let's just <laughs> explain for our audience, a poiki is a stew, cooked over a long, slow fire in a very heavy metal pot, and it's absolutely divine. Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing it's like it, is soft, it? and it's incredible. Like it. Yes, it's so powerful. Well done on helping them, though. Yes, I will say, I uh, have it took a bit of go uh, camping doing. with microwaves <laughs> these days, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how that happens. But, you know, again, it's that whole perspective. Some people take... The city with them wherever they go. Yes, yes. And I didn't. I, I, you know, I was able to take myself and and adapt and and find out ways to do things and uh, appreciate other people's uh, lives. So there was nothing strange. And going back to the original question, some people have asked me, well, what about moving from Africa to China? There's no mm -hmm. difference. There's mm -hmm. absolutely no difference. It's just I'm in a different country with different languages and different customs, but it's the same basic principle. We're mm. all people, we've all got our normal ways of doing it. And if you're open to it, then you can learn so much. And you, you know, you, if you take it with you, like a lot of British mm -hmm. do when they go to Spain or whatever, they want the sun mm -hmm. with um, you know, their normal food, with their normal customs, with their normal beer, everything the same as it would be back home, but just sunny instead. So they miss out. And uh, they dismiss the local people because of it. So that that's a challenge. And I, I don't do that. I mean, I just came here and I don't tend to mix with, with expats much anyway, because a, a lot of them are jaundiced, if you like. They've been here too long and they've looked down on people. I don't like that type of thing. I'd rather mm. mix with, you know, with whoever is, is real. Yes. It's that fear of change that comes forward. People are very yeah. afraid. And it's one of the reasons I, I share with my clients. I avoid stepping out of a comfort zone and rather expand it. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm hearing you have done. You've expanded your comfort zone rather than stepping out of it. How do you feel about that? I think your comfort zone is something you can take wherever you are because mm -hmm. it is and when I say that, I don't mean taking it and trying to transplant everything and put that in, but you take it with you because you're comfortable in and of yourself. Yes. You're comfortable mm -hmm. with yourself. So, you know, it is that mobile comfort zone. I mean, mm -hmm. if you think of camping in, in, in the bush felt and there's a lion comes to visit you at nighttime, mm -hmm. if you're comfortable, uh, it, it's a whole different experience. And if you're so paralyzed with fear, Mm -hmm. it's a whole different experience and, and you don't have to go to the bush belt you don't have to have the line you can just go from Joburg to Durban or Joburg to Cape Town because those are different cities different worlds people have yes. different 
thoughts. But yeah. you know, a lot of the uh, Joburg people they go to Durban, they expect it to be like um, Joburg, Joburg with yeah. you know a little bit of extra power in the car because it's in the low felt rather than it's at sea level rather than the high felt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they so go they in their suit and can't understand why they can't. Um, function effectively yes I've yeah, been yeah. experienced that yeah. yeah yeah so you know you have to leave that part behind mm -hmm. but take your ability to be comfortable with yourself mm -hmm. with you and, and that's the, the secret I think mm -hmm. I love what you're saying there if I'm hearing you correctly have your own safety within because that mm -hmm. creates safety surrounding you yeah, and I think that comes from a level of trust with yourself and self-belief. And mm -hmm. not everybody trusts themselves. And, and quite a lot of people have had the self-belief challenge through you know, various things. But once you can do that, it doesn't matter where you are, because there's always a way. There's always, you know, you, you'll find that way because you have that belief and you have that trust in your abilities or even your thinking. Yes, very much so. I'm so sad. Our time is coming to an end. Stuart, <laughs> no, the podcast is coming to an end. Stuart and I are going to have many more wonderful chats. Stuart, if you could offer our audience one thing around mindset, trust, and safety, what would that be? I think the the thing that come, always comes to mind is I call it AAC, and I think it should be taught in school, but unfortunately, it's not. It's awareness become aware accept it without judgment and then mm -hmm. that gives you the power of choice yes. and so many people they don't accept they judge or they don't have that choice because they've never become aware of what's happening and, and their emotions have taken over and it's a fundamental building block of a happy life yes very much so wow a a p c, c. Just AAC. AAC, I love that. Forget ABC, that doesn't help you. AAC no. is more important. Yes. Very much so. That is a power. We could talk about this for hours. Oh, my mm -hmm. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but, but, the ending was just it. You notice what's happening. You accept it's happening, and then you've got a choice of how you want to go. It's, it's so simple, so basic, but it's not always easy, obviously. Yes. But yes. It has to be practiced. Well, that is personal leadership, acknowledging mm -hmm. what's coming up for us. Awareness is one of the keys of mindset alchemy, is um, intuitive awareness, listening mm -hmm. to that inner whisper, working with it and just mm -hmm. seeing it. Do you feel that that awareness is what has helped you tremendously in your life with the children, with the coaching you do now, with the work you do now, and with your younger children? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it takes some time to recognize that. But when you look back from a place, you know, of wisdom, which you can attain sometimes only through experience and, and uh, you know, longer years or longer years, you know, more years on, on, you know, mm -hmm. on the belt. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you notice the turning points. I mean, there's, there's one quick story about the Maasai, some Maasai warriors uh, that mm -hmm. I had. And I only got the full lesson later much much later and it became it was through awareness but mm -hmm. awareness now of what happened then if i'd have been aware then it would have been different i mean we were we were in uh, kenya 
and we were camping somewhere near the Masai Mara area and we, we were sat there with our feet toasting on the campfire, pitch black night or whatever it was. And all of a sudden, three Maasai warriors just materialized out of nowhere. Full regalia, spears, the works. And they were friendly, so that was good. But I saw this as an opportunity to barter for a spear, which I wanted. I wanted to take that as a souvenir. And I wasn't prepared to pay the tourist prices in Nairobi, which were quite high. So I brought along an electronic calculator with me, you know, scientific calculator, which was the bee's knees in 86 back in the UK. And I thought, okay, this is my opportunity. I'm going to barter. And I, I took it to the one guy and I showed it him. He took it out. He knew how to use a calculator. He played with it. So oh, it's beautiful. It's wonderful, he said. And then carefully put it back in the box and gave it back. He said, but what use is it to me? Very powerful. And, you know, that was the thing. I shrank and I disappeared because I, I was too full of my own ego and everything else. And I hadn't realized, you know, not only that it would be no use to him, but he's in the middle of nowhere. That's mm -hmm. his home looking after mm -hmm. the captain. What mm -hmm. happens if he took it and he needs a new battery? Yes. Where does he get it from? <laughs> you know, there's no shops, there's no supermarkets, there's nothing. But I didn't even think of that. So yeah. I shrank away became you know silly uh, like like we do and uh, he he was so noble so honorable about it the way he did it and that that, that took me by surprise and made me even worse but many years later I'm so grateful for him, to him for that lesson about mm -hmm. value and everything else and if I'd have been aware at the time I could have stepped out of myself and said okay I don't want to shrink away I'm going to accept I've been a fool and, and this wasn't a good interaction from my point of view but I can apologize and I can build a relationship from there. Mm -hmm. But I did went yeah. into reaction. Yes, I hear you. That is such, I'm just seeing my mind is going four million things and I'm thinking, well, a calculator wouldn't help feed his family and it would, <laughs> that is just so powerful. But I didn't think of that because I was yes. locked in my world. <laughs> mm. And I see that so many times. Um, I've, it's happened to me as well, especially around children, because children are very literal. And I, I've that, seen, and, and I very see that they are very perceptive and their filters are not yet in place. And I've also seen it when people come to Africa, they have so many preconceived ideas. They forget that there's some very different realities here. Yeah. Just the as they're different realities. They have a wisdom of their own, don't they? Yeah, that is so powerful. Oh, Stuart, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much. It's People... my pleasure. It's always oh. exciting to share. And I grow every time I share because I start taking more of the lessons that I've learned on board for myself. So that's wonderful as well. Well, I definitely have learned from your Maasai story, Maasai warrior story. It's it's given me a whole different direction of thinking for something I'm putting together. So thank you so much That's for that. Mm -hmm. Stuart, where can people get hold of you if they would like to work with you and connect with you? The best way is either LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, uh, you, you can give me the, the profile address. And uh, my email is Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T, at S-P-G. .bz. I specifically got a very short one, so it's easy Lovely. to remember. <laughs> I, I will put it in the show notes yeah. as well, people. I, and I highly encourage you to follow Stuart and learn from his wisdom. There's a tremendous amount here to help us catalyze 
all those past experiences into the present so that we can create a better future. Stuart, again, thank you for staying up late. Thank you it's so much for joining us. And uh, yeah. we'll chat soon. Everybody, bye-bye. Yeah, I would just like to say, just take that fresh outlook on life. Just step outside of whatever and just have a fresh outlook. And then you'd be surprised the changes and the beauty you can find within yourself and your situation. And thank you so much for everything. That is so beautiful. It comes down to perspective. Mm -hmm. I still love what you said about trust. And we could talk for another three hours. People, oh, I'm yeah. going to hit the goodbye button. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. I hope you have a wonderful and incredible rest of your day. And if you'd like to know more about working with me, please reach out and I can share with you about my personal leadership program and much more. You can also pop over to my website, janinekathleen.com and check out all the lovely goodies and resources I have for you over there. Have a wonderful day and please leave a five-star rating, a review and share the podcast with people who may benefit from it. Bye-bye.